Nonprofits Podcast listeners. This is Steve Boland. And just a quick note before today's show, this is a unique thing here at Next to Nonprofits. We're doing a crossover episode with our friends at Legacy of Generosity Podcast. So you're going to hear three different hosts talking about a topic that I think is really interesting that we all have some things to share. So uh, here we go with the recording from that. I look forward to hearing what you think. Hi, this is Christy Ackley with the Legacy of Generosity podcast. I'm also the owner and founder of Fairwinds Consulting, here today with Steve and Carl. This is Steve Boland with Next in Nonprofits. I'm very excited to be joining Carl and Christy today. Hi, Carl Newbanks with the, the Legacy of Generosity podcast and the Initiative Foundation in Central Minnesota, and happy to be here with you guys today as well. I guess I'm going to jump in first because I think this was my crazy idea to uh, ask Christy and Carl to have a conversation together, even though each of us has a separate podcast that we're coming together today to jointly host a conversation uh, about legacy giving and sort of the way that it's thought of in terms of uh, endowment giving and long-term investment towards impact versus taking that big swing and thinking about making a larger investment in a current need uh, and having conversations with people about the value of that, the long-term impact of that, differently from maybe necessarily just assuming that uh, a long-term impact really needs to be more of an endowment type gift. So Christy, I, I kind of knocked on your door about this conversation not long after Legacy of Giving had a, uh, a recording about uh, the um, endowments and how to uh, build gifts and think about that um, and asked you to come in and think about this, maybe a, a slightly different angle on it. Uh, I, I Thanks for doing that, but have Absolutely. you and Carl had a chance to talk a little bit more about uh, how you think about talking to legacy donors around this big swing idea versus the long-term investment of capital? You know, Steve, um, Carl and I talked a little bit uh, after you and I talked about this and, and, you know, what it really comes down to for us is, is, is about the donor, you know, um, I think as professionals, we obviously have to help our donors see all of the options that are available to them, but we can't control, or should, should we even try to control what they Mm -hmm. ultimately decide to do. And so I think there's a lot of value in this conversation and just exploring, you know, as, what are the pros and cons of an endowment versus those really large investments in today's needs? And, you know, how do we talk to donors about that? Yeah, right. I, Chris, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's so easy to, uh, especially when you're like me and you work for a foundation. Well, we talk about endowments a lot and we like to see these big gifts come in. Well, maybe we should endow that for, you know, long-term impact, but it's, it's so important to remember that, that even though the foundation pays me to do development, that really I work for the donor mm-hmm. and it's my job to make sure that donor knows everything, all the options, you know, we could endow it, but what if you wanted to give all of this gift today to a cause or an organization, what would that look? What kind of input impact would that have? So, you know, it's important to not let yourself get into just a one track, one solution kind of thinking you know, when you're working with your donors, make sure they have all the options in front of them. I think it's important. Yeah. And I think in some cases, the charities too, that may be supported by the work, if they hear about the potential of a fairly large gift may jump to that conclusion of, oh, wow, we're not going to spend all that this year. 
um, endowment. You know, we're going to think about investing that money, using that invested income over time to create some change. Uh, and one of the reasons we're talking about this today is I was having a conversation with a, a client that I do some fundraising work with, who's wanted to have the conversation with their board about, well, we're in a good position right now financially. We're, we've done some good work. People have invested in us. We have some cash. Maybe we should be going out and trying to uh, think about that idea of creating our own endowment uh, space for donors to contribute to and talk to more people about that. And uh, while certainly I think it's good to have that conversation within the charity, the flip side of it just didn't come up of what if all of the money that we're sitting on right now got used for this mission in the next three years? What if we weren't thinking about trying to increase that? What could we do differently if we really started taking that cash and thinking about investing it in people, projects, processes, whatever, that could create some change that would echo? How do we measure and talk about that. And I think a couple of the folks around the table, especially those that had been more traditionally invested in um, academia, where endowed chairs and that kind of thing is just a normal part of the conversation, um, kind of looked at me like I had sprouted a third head going, <laughs> wait a minute, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean spend all the money? That doesn't seem to make sense. Um, so I, I, I want to look at some specific examples of what a big swing would look like. But um, do you ever have, and, and Carl, maybe more specifically to you, but Christy, either of you, of that moment where uh, a charity itself is maybe a little boxed into their own thinking about, we really got to be saving for the future. We really got to be putting this cash away rather than thinking, what, what if we really took some of that and, and went much bigger than we've gone in the last few years? I, I don't come across that very often. I mean, it, it does happen. And I think, you know, Steve, you you mentioned that kind of there are certain fields, certain types of organizations that lean much to much more towards endowments and those sorts of those types of things. But uh, I think a lot of nonprofits that that I come in contact with are are looking to get funds and put it to work, you know, today and get their projects done and and then just, you know, kind of keep fundraising for the future. So I don't run across a lot of organizations that are too concerned about endowments themselves. Mm -hmm. Christy, I don't know if you do. You know, I actually have been interacting with an organization recently, and, and this isn't quite along the endowment side, but they have a, a significant amount in their reserves. So it's not endowed, but it is in reserves. And yet when you talk to them, they're, they're still pinching pennies. You know, mm -hmm. they're still in that mindset of, oh, you know, we're going to invest in some printing and um, we got to make sure that this, that this has multiple uses to it. And we, cause you know, this is $500 that we're going right. to spend here. And I'm going, <laughs> you have almost a year's worth of reserves. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. You don't need to be pinching pennies over $500. And so I do think that sometimes the nonprofits can get into this mindset of constantly focusing on sustainability and fiscally and fiscal responsibility and not thinking about what we're really there for is to make a change, to make a difference, to change society, to change the world, to, you know, impact a problem. And when we get so set on that, we got to make sure our organization exists in 10, 20, 50 years from now, are we falling away from what we're really set to do? It's not about the organization being sustainable. It's about our mission and making a difference. Not that I'm saying that we shouldn't be fiscally responsible too and right. have some reserves, but when we get overly cautious, I think there, there are some extreme problems that can happen. 
that that caution ethos around the charity sector, I, I think, is again traditionally really good to be careful to not overdo the spending and and keep a prudent reserve in. Um, but I have absolutely run into the same situation where some folks that I'm working with uh, don't feel like there's ever necessarily going to be enough of a cash reserve and are mm -hmm. always in that penny pinching mode and eventually do push back a little and say, um, what about you know expanding service to this impact goal? Instead of thinking about how much money we want to put in the bank, if we expand what we did to change things in the community with this measurement or that end of things. Uh, and again, I think sometimes get into this space of, but what if we can't raise money to sustain that in the future? Um, and it, it seems like that would be the worst possible outcome is that we grow, we do a big bunch of important things that create some change. And then we have to pull back from that a little if it's not as sustainable at that larger level of investment. Uh, to me, that's not a bad outcome. You know, if we've created some of that sure. change, we've impacted families, their lives are different, it's echoing into the future. That's great. Then to come back down again a little bit is a management decision and it makes sense. But that fear of having to retrench some of maybe even letting go of a new hire or something like that, I think is stopping some organizations from thinking about that big swing and and putting that money into a, another rainy day account, even though it could rain for the next you know six hundred days and they'd be fine. Um, but but thinking of that, uh, it's too hard to maybe come back down again if in fact what we've taken the big swing on doesn't end up being independently sustainable. We can't bring in that same level of revenue. And that fear maybe is holding some folks back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And especially, uh, I guess I'm just thinking about even the, uh, the board level, mm -hmm. you know, of these organizations. Again, some are, you know, pretty are run by the executive directors and maybe the boards don't have a lot of input, but other times, you know, you have board members that are pushing for these. Well, we, you yeah. know, we can't spend that. We've got to have this much in reserve. We've got to be cautious. You know, what about this kind of, you have, board members that don't want to be known in the future as the board members who made a decision. And now the organization mm -hmm. has to, like you said, Steve, retrench and, and kind of move backwards a little bit, even though maybe that's not a bad thing, but you're scared to be looked, looked back upon as board members that might've made a, not a bad decision, but, but uh, an out of the ordinary sort of decision or move, if that makes sense. Right. A more aggressive call than, than maybe the organization has been through before. And this, of course, is particularly right. difficult on growing organizations where they don't have a history of uh, expanding and maybe then contracting a little bit and then expanding again when, when the support is there. Uh, and they don't want to be that first step backwards in, in contracting. And that can be really challenging in the ethos of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I try to get people to take some historic thinking backwards a, a little on this idea of a big swing. Um, and I do want to get into, Carl, what you were talking about with board members in particular, because I think that the conversation around a board designated fund for a purpose in the future, different from an endowment, is really important to differentiate and, and talk strategically about. But before we get into those, I, I just want to throw the idea on the table. I've had this conversation with a lot of folks around the idea of big swings that have been successful. If we look back in the past uh, at the March of Dimes, for example, uh, the idea of we are going to literally collect dimes. We are going to send people out with their cans marching around to collect mm -hmm. 10 cent pieces 
uh, because we're trying a big swing to end a childhood disease um, and then to come up with a treatment that can do exactly that and go, holy mackerel, it can be done. If people bring this huge uh, ethos of, we don't have to just ameliorate the impact of this thing, we can end this. If they were only concerned about the success of March of Dimes in the future, maybe they wouldn't invest as much in research and, and coming up with vaccines and looking at, at long-term treatment plans. But that organization took the big swing, got there over time, and then had to shift gears a little away from just the idea of it's polio, right? Uh, I, I think it was the uh, original um, March of Dimes uh, into trying to prevent and, and deal with other childhood diseases. So they did not just go away when they accomplished their big swing. They they transitioned into using the infrastructure that they had constructed to to think about other problems that also needed some address. But I, I encourage all the folks that I think about what if, you know, the folks at March of Dimes were so concerned about, you know, 15 and 20 years from now that they didn't spend money on research. They weren't out there trying to expand the donor network. They weren't trying to get messaging out. How long and how many more people would have suffered had they not taken that big action? And now as a result of that, so many people are uh, leading healthier, happier lives that that echoes for generations. Those people had families, they went to school, they got good jobs, they contributed to their communities, all these things that happened because somebody took a big swing. What would it look like if we invested that money in a big swing now and that impact reverberated for the next three generations, just like it had here. And not everybody is going to, you know, come up with a vaccine for polio, but, you know, we will all be able to make some level of improved change, but we have to kind of think about what does that look like against that idea of safety and security for slow growth? Right. Yeah. I, uh, your, your comments make me, make me think, and may, I don't, maybe this is a, a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but it <laughs> makes me think about as a foundation, we always have these grant guidelines, right? Well, we want you to do this, this, and this, this is what we're going to fund. And it's interesting to just think about how I notice often we're talking about well, sustainability and long-term mm -hmm. and how, and it just makes me wonder about if foundations started saying, well, we're not concerned about whether or not this grant keeps you around or what your plan is to be around 20 years from now, we want to know what you're going to accomplish. Like you say, a big swing mm -hmm. in the, you know what I mean? In the next year, the next two years, the next three years, um, even that wouldn't help change the thinking a little bit or to think about how those guidelines have created this, you know, this thinking now that says, well, what's most important is that we can prove we're going to be around for 10 years or we'll never get a grant. That is a really good point, Carl. A lot of grant applications do ask about the, the sustainability of the organization and how are you going to fund this in the future? Um, I, I hadn't even thought of what that does to the overall culture of our, of our nonprofits, that question. Yeah. It'd be interesting to be able to just, as a nonprofit, to be able to just say, actually, our goal is to win in three right. years, so to say, <laughs> right? To, to accomplish the goal. And, and so, yeah, we may not, there may not be a need for us in three years if you give us this grant, because we're actually trying to get this done, not just position ourselves to survive into the, you know, forever, which is, which is interesting. 
Yeah, I had a, a personal experience with that when I was on the board of directors at Outfront Minnesota. We were partnering for marriage equality across the state of Minnesota 2013, and one of our partner organizations was Project 515 which took its name from the 515 different areas of Minnesota law that were allowed benefit to uh, people who could get married and people that were not allowed to get married could not get those 515 benefits in law. And then the law changed. And, you know, we were able to legislatively accomplish something that that hadn't been legislatively accomplished in in, uh, the history of our state. And that organization had to look real hard in the mirror and go, "We, we did the thing. We did what we said we were going to do. Do we try to shift gears um, and accomplish some other social need or goal or whatever? Or do we actually put the flag in the ground and say, mission accomplished, we're done now, thank you for playing. And ultimately, that's what Project 515 did. They did make the decision to close the organization, distribute the remaining revenue that they had to partners that had similar mission um, directions, not the exact same mission, um, but meeting all the legal requirements of closing down a charity. But that, that big swing that they had been talking about coming after wasn't really something that they had planned for that year. It was sort of a political opportunity that came about from lots of outside forces uh, acting at the same time. But they were there. They used every dime they could raise in that period to get the work done and then decided we're done. And I think there are some charities out there where that absolutely is accomplishable. And then there's many others where, of course, there is going to be need into the future, regardless of how big a swing they take this year. Um, You know, there's always going to be a need for arts and cultural work in our communities regardless of how much gets invested mm-hmm. this year. There's always going to be a need probably for some kind of hunger relief, even you know, even if we do a really good job of other things. There'll be some stuff like that out there. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to consider what if we then have to shift our charitable work a little bit because some portion of what we set out to do really could be so substantially different if we went at it really big, really hard for a few years, and then stepped back. And that's an inspiring challenge, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Steve, I think I mentioned when we talked that we had Trista Harris on on, on our podcast, on the Legacy of Generosity podcast a couple months ago, and she talked about futurism and that idea of, of looking at, you know, what is the big change? And I gotta tell you, before talking to her, there were certain nonprofits that I just thought, they, they are going to be around forever. You know, we're like domestic, <laughs> domestic violence is one that yeah. I thought oh, there's, yeah. there's no solution to this. I mean, people are going to be people <laughs> and violence is always going to happen. And we are, we're going to need organizations that come in and, and help with people who are in relationship abuses situations. Right. And then I thought after a while, it took me a minute, but I thought, but do they need to be around? Yes, domestic violence might always exist in some part of our society. But if the change that we're really trying to do is to, to make it so that domestic violence is not acceptable in our society, that law enforcement has the tools that they need to prosecute those individuals, even when the victim is unwilling or unable to speak up, if, if society as a whole said, we stand up for our neighbors, we take care of our own, we do speak up when we see a child being abused or a person being abused. We wouldn't need those organizations anymore because as a whole, the community would take care of it. Law enforcement would have mm-hmm. the, the, the tools that they needed to. 
And then I went, I'm on the board of a domestic violence organization. And I thought, oh my gosh, how much would our work change if we started to take this mindset of we could work ourselves out of a job? You know, we would start doing a lot more education and outreach in our community than we're currently doing, which is on our strategic plan, but mm -hmm. not as boldly as it could be if we went, our goal is for us to not exist. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I just was really struck by this idea of, you know, if, if we got the Mackenzie Scott type of money, you know, this mm -hmm. millions of dollars invested, would we build a new shelter? Would we build a new safety center or, or would we do that end, you know, <laughs> or would we really invest in trying to change society and the, per the, the perception of people who, um, you know, who suffer from relationship abuse. It's a really interesting concept to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Christy, I'm glad you mentioned Mackenzie Scott, because I think that the, the, one of the hallmarks of her particular giving um, is trying to um, dwindle the very, very substantial resources she has within her own lifetime. And it's a uh, an interesting challenge to watch somebody not think I'm going to leave all this money when I pass to um, an institution that will invest it and then use the earnings and all those things. She's really committed to that idea. I'm, I'm going to go get this money working right now, get it out the door, um, you know, impact it. But she's making general operating pledges by and large. I mean, what she's doing is saying, mm -hmm. you folks have an idea of how to have the best immediate or long-term impact and, and what it's going to take. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you my gift needs to be invested for the long-term or my gift needs to be all spent this year. I'm going to give you this resource and you're going to make that, that impact call. Uh, and I'm going to step back, which is one way of a philanthropist to really consider um, these things, because we started this conversation with Carl saying it's it's kind of a donor centric thought. What what does that donor want to do? Um, but I think sometimes the donor may not be seeing that kind of uh, example set of this donor um, is letting the charity decide uh, what's the the right way to make that decision. And you donor could do that too. You could also think about a, a long term gift that might be invested. You could think about asking them to spend it sooner. All those are opportunities, but I think we have to help broaden that conversation with those potential um, donors around, you know, here's what it looks like when one donor says, you guys make the call. Here's a fairly meaningful gift. Go to town and see what you can do. Yeah. I, you know, it makes me think about, again, you know, we're, we're talking about working with donors here, but it, it is important to think about, um, how do I say this? If you're talking with a donor and they're talking about a legacy gift and they want to leave it for a certain nonprofit that that is really centered on driving change now, right? Then then that's an interesting conversation to have. Well, this particular organization might be more interested in in seeing the the bulk of that gift put to work today versus another organization that's really the cause they're working on is perpetual and is going to be around. For years and years and years, well, maybe they're more interested in some sort of an endowed gift that's going to, you know, bring resources for years and years to come. But, but it's it, it's just I, when you said uh, kind of letting the nonprofit decide is the thing, you know, that made me think about to to give these gifts to nonprofits and say, hey, <clears throat> how what do you want to do with it, right? Do you want to take a big swing? Do you want to invest it? What do you feel like is best? Is it is a great? I think a really great idea. 
you know, I'd be really curious to hear from each of you, like how you have those conversations with donors um, when they have it in their head to do something that really just doesn't make sense. You know, like mm. um, we've all heard the nightmare stories of the, the the donor that made an endowment to fund the choir robes at a church or something, right? And now that church no longer uses choir robes and the restrictions of the endowment or the or the gift or whatever was so specific, they're they're struggling with what to do. So you you both have had thousands and thousands of conversations with donors over the years, over your career. Um how do you approach that? And, and like, what advice could you have for our listeners on how they would approach those conversations when, when a donor is trying to come and, and with their very narrow idea of what they want to do, how do you help them see the opportunities that are out there? <laughs> very slowly. <I> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there, there is this temptation to, to want to be the answer person or to wrap this up. You know what I mean? And, gosh, I hate to say it like that, but let's wrap this up and get it in the books and count it in the fundraising goals oh, this year, yeah. right? But instead to just very patiently walk with people when you can. And, and uh, I mean, again, you know, it, it, it's hard to, to make a lot of suggestions because unless the donor asks, right? But, but Christy, like you said, unless you can just tell, boy, we're really heading for a disaster here to say, well, <laughs> think about this or how this might play out, you know, like this, and let's not do something that's just going to make things more difficult for the cause or nonprofit that you love. Um, but I think to just walk real slowly and give it some time and let everybody think it through, provide information, you know, when you can, and, and hopefully folks uh, kind of come around and, and land at the land at a better solution, you know. Yeah, I've, I appreciate, Carl, your comments about slowly is a piece, but I, I always try to go back to the unforeseen impact of uh, a narrow plan early, uh, that sometimes when you um, are, are making a commitment to something that expects to have an impact over time, you're really not thinking too much about what happens when the world changes later. Yeah, and in giving people the example, I, I've I've heard this story, and I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I find it amusing, so I, I use it periodically. <laughs> that we uh, um, we we think about the the um, road system that we have in the United States right now, uh, and the width of cars that we have uh, as vehicles, relatively unchanged over a long period of time, because the original roads as they were created was around the idea of uh, teaming up to be suburban next to each other as a fairly efficient way of pulling as opposed to four wide or eight wide or whatever, two wide, two, you know, two or four deep made more mechanical sense. So every road in America is sort of designed around two horses asses, right? This is the design that we are still living with centuries later, because at the time, we couldn't imagine, well, what happens if we invent vehicles that don't need be suburban to pull them around? What, what design would make sense? By that point, the roads are there. And now you design a car to ride in the ruts of a wagon that was being pulled by horses. And we, we have to think about, boy, what's the long-term impact of if we only are funding this thing, we're going to have to design all of our future impact around that thing. And maybe that's okay, but maybe it has other 
impacts that we just don't understand yet. And we'd love some flexibility to be able to adapt in the future to what we learn and how we can make that change. Uh, and to me, it always goes, take it back a few you know, decades or years to some past decision that today maybe seems like, oh, Right. Why, why would we do it that way now, knowing what we know? Um, you know, one charity that I uh, used to spend some time with was uh, uh, Twin Cities Voicemail, where they were very concerned about trying to make sure that folks that did not have a permanent residence could have access to a voicemail box so that they could get messages. Uh, because how else are you going to get a phone call? You know, if you don't have a voicemail box tied to a landline somewhere, well, clearly the world has changed pretty dramatically <laughs> from that time. Uh, and uh, th there's still some thinking with donors like, well, you know, folks that don't have houses, of course, don't have phones. Like that might be the one thing we can help them with that, you know, we can change people's lives by making sure that they have access to a phone, regardless of these other things. And, and if we're locked into this mechanism of it has to be done this other way, we don't get the chance to make that big swing happen in the future. I, I wanted to ask both of you a little bit about this idea of board designated investments versus a, an endowment, because I do think that I run into this periodically where you get that board that's being more cautious um, and they do want to reserve some funds and they think that they're creating an endowment, but they're restricting their own funds. Um, and I, I think that that's a, um, a, a different way of thinking about long-term impact and communicating a board's decision rather than a donor restricting a fund on behalf of something. So uh, as you run into organizations that do have the ability to maybe use some of that resource now, but choose to um, restrict that use, how do you help them communicate that to the broader community about you know, what's really endowed, what's really just donor or board restricted? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, you know, we don't, I, again, I would say I haven't necessarily come across that a lot. Um, I do, I, or I would hope that most of the time when boards are, you know, restricting like that, that they're doing so in alignment with a strategic plan or some sort of, you know, priority, and then they've given themselves an out within several years or at a period of time. Or, of course, I think you always have the option for the board to, to uh, change that restriction you know, later. So, right. you, you know, it's nice. It's a nice way to say, we're going to put these funds to work uh, for this particular cause or this particular reason. We don't want it to be spent anywhere else. And then we're going to reevaluate, you know, uh, over time. So, so it's not a, it, it's definitely not a bad idea when it works. Um, but I don't know that we've ever really had to, to figure out how to help people communicate and say, this isn't in doubt. It's restricted like this. I, I think people just generally look at it and say, well, we're, we're putting that to work and for this cause and, and that makes sense to us. So. Yeah, I would agree. I don't, I, I think most of my interactions with nonprofits has been that maybe they don't always communicate really well, the difference between the two, you know, they might call it an agency fund, yeah. which donors don't always understand what that means. Um, and depending on, um, what, what the fund agreement looks like agency funds mean different things, even in different um, foundation. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know that they do a really great job unless they're directly soliciting donations for a specific fund like that. And then obviously they need to very clearly communicate that this is a, a fund and, and whether it's going to be all donations are going to be, um, you know, invested forever or mm -hmm. they're spendable, that kind of stuff. But I think 
you know, I've only interacted with a few nonprofits that actually directly solicit donations for those funds. Most of the ones that I've, I've worked with that do some kind of board restriction like that or endowment have used, you know, reserves um, for that type of stuff. And, and I don't know that they always communicate very well about that. And I, I think that's a important part of the communication with the, the larger donor community around, uh, you know, how are you making your gift kind of thing that if you look at uh, the overall financials of an organization to think about their sustainability, their needs in the future, those things yeah. that um, some of those funds that may be, you know, board designated could be. Uh, taken out of that designation by a future mm -hmm. board for that big swing. And that could change that picture. Uh, that donor should maybe understand the difference between those things. They may want to be part of that big swing. And um, they want to know that the organization can come to the table and meet their donation with something else to be able to do that impactful big deal. Um, and sometimes I think the boards themselves feel like, well, we can't spend that money and you help them understand, oh no, actually you really can. Mm -hmm. That that was a decision that the board of directors made, not the donor and the right. board of directors can unmake the, that decision in most circumstances. Um, and I think that that's good to have the conversation about it. If you do have that donor, who's like, I, I think this is an impact that I really want to be invested in right now versus the future, but I need you charity to also be there with me. I don't want to just sure. fund all of it. So if you can use some of your reserves, I use some of my gift and together we do the big thing that makes a huge difference over many, many years um, that can bring them to the table differently from uh, thinking I'm the only one funding this. And that feels uh, less engaging to me as a donor, if it's just me and uh, maybe they, they want to know that the partner organization is able to match some of that effort with some of their own um, resources. Yeah, that's a great point, Steve. So one other thing I want to kind of explore a little with both of you is this um, question mark about the idea of uh, if we invest all of this resource now in more of a um, future-oriented earnings are going to, to make the needs. Uh, the other thing that's, uh, to me, challenging in the thinking about it is uh, we're, we're sort of trying to take the pressure off of the donors 25 years from now and 50 years from now and 100 years from now, that somebody did the hard work this year and put all that resource into a growth area. It's earning some return. Uh, and therefore, we're going to be able to keep doing this work. And does that sort of, you know, to me, when I get a uh, uh, solicitation from, you know, my institutions of higher education saying, gosh, we really need you to come to the table this year. I'm like, tell you what, after you've spent your billions of dollars, you got in the bank, come back to me, you know, <laughs> then I'll talk with you because I don't feel so motivated to give you more money to put into a bank account because you got money in a bank account. And that's not um, encouraging to me as a donor, other donors, you know, that's a, a language they like and they want to hear. But for me, I, I would rather hear about um, I need you today because here's the thing we want to do today and we don't have um, other resources available. So we need you donor to come in. I'm like, okay, I'm part of an effort. I'm part of a team. I'm going to do a thing rather than give us money now so that 50 years from now, we don't ask the same question to your grandchild. I'm going to, you know what? You're probably still going to ask my grandchild for money. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that question of, 
if I'm looking at, at that long-term impact as a donor, uh, am I more concerned about you know, today versus is it really somebody in the future's responsibility if the future world still needs that thing that this charity is talking about for them to step forward and be part of that work? Or is it our responsibility to grow some resources so that that's easier for them? I struggle with that personally. You know, Steve, I, I I hear where you're going. And I just, I guess I just haven't really interacted with a lot of organizations that are saying, give me endow this money now so that I don't have to ask. I've never heard of a nonprofit <laughs> say I'm not going to ask in the future. But so I'm going to reframe a little bit here sure. and just share about an organization that I'm currently working with where they have an endowment and their endowment um, covers their staff costs, 100% of their staff costs. And they're, they're a community foundation. So they are, you know, I mean, their goal is to promote philanthropy. Hopefully that will be something like an arts thing that we'll always want to have organizations, you know, promoting philanthropy, right? So I'm okay with them thinking about an endowment that's going to make sure that their staff um, wages are paid for. And then 100% of every other dollar that they raise, they can put back into the community, unless, of course, the donor decides to endow it. Mm-hmm. So that's an example, but what I wanna, I wanna extrapolate that example to one of my favorite nonprofits, um, sorry to all of you listening, <laughs> um, is Charity Water. Mm-hmm. And Charity Water, you know, they talk all the time when they're um, soliciting donations about how they have other pools of funds. I've, I've never dug into it to see what those other pools of funds are, but they have other donations, other revenue sources, something, grants, whatever, that cover their operational costs. And so what they communicate to their, in, you know, broadly to their donors is 100% of your donation goes to our mission um, directly to the, the work, you know, to building wells in Africa, to buying equipment to build those wells, whatever all of that stuff is. And so in those situations, if that was what the, the nonprofit was communicating was make this large endowment gift to help us cover our operational expenses so that as we continue to raise money, it can be now and in the future, it can go 100% to getting water to people who don't have water or whatever that mission might be. I, I could really see the value in that. Yeah, Christy, I, I think that's... Uh... It's interesting to think about the, you know, that idea that organizations, and I think more and more folks want to be able to say that, which is, which doesn't really, I, I guess I want to say more and more organizations want to be able to say, our savings, our endowment is covering our operational expenses, so your contributions are going straight to the work. Um, but it kind of loops back around to Steve's question about, you know, is the goal really to take future, future folks off the hook, right? We're you know, should mm-hmm. they, should we really be working to cover the operations of the organizations that we're with, that are, you know, that we're supporting now and actually freeing up more of their funds to do, to do work? I, I don't know. I, I don't even know if that, if that makes any sense to say it like that, but, but, uh, but, but it is interesting. I think there are donors that say, I love the idea of an endowment. It doesn't bother me that you have a hundred million dollars in the bank. I want to support what you do. And, and then there are donors that say, nope, no way. Why would I give you even 
you know, $25 if you already have 100 million in the bank. So it is interesting. There's all these variables floating around that are impacting the way people give and the way nonprofits use endowments and legacy gifts. And it's a, it's an interesting mix of complexity, I think. It, um, yeah, I know we've got three podcast hosts at the same time thinking to themselves, probably as we're looking at the clock, like we, we have to wrap this up at some point here. <laughs> Usually it's one of our jobs to keep an eye on the clock. Or like all three of us are going, wait a second, we have a lot more to say. But um, but I, I do think that that's, uh, that donor-centric conversation and the emerging trends of community-centric fundraising creates that mm-hmm. natural tension of uh, talking about what would you donor like to have happen and respecting that and working with them while at the same time kind of informing and raising up here's the community needs as we're understanding them rather than you want your name on a building you know and if they want their name on a building they can get their name on a building i mean there's plenty of ways to give that way absolutely if that's mm-hmm. a goal that that donor wants to be able to do then you know there's a lot of of opportunities but I, I think it gives us this chance to think together about um, making sure that as we're having that slow conversation that Carl was talking about, um, that that's something that that donor really identified as a priority rather than we failed to present them with a community-centric model that talked about other ways of doing this. Um, sure. And because, and again, to Carl's earlier point, they came in and said, I think I want to you know, make a fairly meaningful gift that you know, could result in naming a atrium and a space after me or whatever. And, and we may go, wow, th- they've got an idea. Let's go and help them fulfill that vision and just keep going down that path. And uh, we, we have this opportunity to rethink that a little, not saying, oh my gosh, you're, you're wrong for wanting to do it your way. We should consider these others, but making sure that as they've come to the table with us that uh, they know what that more community-centric thinking feels like. And they're like, you know, I get you, but I like this. And you're like, okay, good. We've talked about it. We're all on the same page. Let's go forward with the thing that makes sense for you. You know, Steve, when I was in the Navy and training to be a career counselor, one of the things that has stuck with me my ever since I went through that training was talking about the need behind the need. That yeah. a, a sailor is going to walk into your office and say, I need... I need to get out of the Navy. You know, uh-huh. I need to get transferred to Texas. I need, I need, I need, right? And and asking, they, they very rarely come in with the, the what what that need is behind the need. You know, maybe I need to get out of the Navy because my mom's sick and I want to take care of her. And really, they can have they can have the solution of taking care of their mom and still staying in the Navy, right? And so just yeah. exploring and understanding what that need behind the need is. And I, and I really bring that into when I'm talking to donors or when I'm coaching other people to talk to donors is if I come in and say, I want to make a big donation because I want my name on this atrium. What are they really trying to accomplish? Mm. You know, is it really about their name or is it about the legacy? You know, is, and, and are there other ways that are community focused that could give them that same legacy, or maybe even a bigger legacy or a bigger impact that they hadn't even thought of because that's all they've seen is people putting their names on buildings. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. That's a great point, Christy. You know, again, it, it really does, uh, makes me think about the privilege that it is to, to do the work we do and walk along these paths, you know, with folks and give some guidance and help a little bit and help people, you know, achieve their goals with their contributions and their support. It, it really is, uh, it really is a privilege, you know, to be able to be a part of this work. Absolutely. 
And I have really enjoyed this conversation with the two of you guys today. I know we didn't uh, solve any world problems here <laughs> on this episode, but I hope that, you know, it has helped our listeners think about these questions and maybe walked away with a few tips on how to have those conversations with donors and, and get them to think about big swings. Yeah, absolutely. And to learn about each other's ongoing work to provide good audio information to the sector. So I'm going to just make the pitch for nextinnonprofits.com. If you search your podcast feed for Next In Nonprofits, you'll find us. Subscribe. You'll hear all kinds of other conversations here. Uh, Christy, Carl, I understand you guys also have a podcast. I believe I've been on it. <laughs> we do have a podcast, a legacy of generosity and same thing. You can search for a legacy of generosity on wherever you get your favorite podcasts and you can listen to a past episode with Steve as well. So, <laughs> all right. Um,